Hello, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. You know, as physicians, we see some wonderful things, miracles perhaps, in our own care of patients, and many of us have been surprised by what we've seen and what we've learned. Today, we have a very special guest on Primary Care Today. It's Dr. Harley Rothbard. Dr. Rothbard is the author of Miracles We Have Seen, Astonishing Stories of Medical Miracles. And it's really going to be an interesting conversation because what he's going to do, hopefully, is share with us many of these stories and many of the things he's learned from other physicians and what they've talked about. So first of all, Dr. Rothbard, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. McDonough. It's a pleasure to be with you. Tell me a little bit about this book in your own professional career. Was this something that was spurred on by your own experiences or just out of curiosity? No, it was from my own experiences. It was a particular experience that occurred when I was a resident, actually, in Philadelphia, Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. And it was a case that was so astonishing and so compelling that it never left me. And through the course of my career, there have been one or two others of that magnitude in my own career. And I began thinking in the last few years that other physicians may have had similar experiences. And I began asking and contacting colleagues around the country. And the result is the compilation called Miracles We Have Seen. It's 85 remarkable stories written by 75 of the top physicians in the country. These are deans, department heads, professors at Harvard and Yale and Cornell and Penn and the leading medical schools across the country who saw things that despite their scientific rigor, despite the training that all of these physicians have had to look for evidence in their practices, these events stunned them. And that's what the project is about. Dr. Harley Ropard is Professor and Vice Chair Emeritus, Department of Pediatrics, University of Colorado School of Medicine. If you don't mind sharing at your time at CHOP, what was the experience that you had? It was powerful. I was a resident on call in the intensive care unit, the pediatric intensive care unit, and we got a call that two young brothers were being brought into the emergency room, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, both of whom had drowned. And the story was that we learned subsequently, the three-year-old had fallen in about this time of year in the cold to a half-drained swimming pool. The kids were apparently playing nearby and the little one chased a ball and fell into the pool and could not keep his head above water. The seven-year-old, our hero, dived in, pushed his little brother to the steps so that his brother's head would be above the water. But ultimately, the seven-year-old succumbed to the cold and submerged, as then did the three-year-old. And when fire rescue got there, both boys were blue and unconscious and not breathing. And CPR, of course, was started immediately. The kids were rushed to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia's emergency room and then up to our ICU. Over the course of the next few hours, the three-year-old, the little boy who fell in initially, regained consciousness and neurologic function and was pretty much normal within a couple of days and went home from the hospital. But the seven-year-old was not so lucky. He remained in a coma for many weeks and had no willful or other movement. He was supported with a ventilator, a breathing machine. We had begun discussions of brain death. We had begun discussions of organ donation with the family. And neurologically, there was no indication that this little boy was with us. I was reading to him one night, holding his hand. As residents, we, whenever there was a free moment, we tried to spend it with him. His family was there during the day, but at night he would have been by himself. 
And as I was reading to him, I felt his hand squeeze my hand. It was a single squeeze. And I was floored and didn't know what to make of it. I was a trainee after all. The next morning, I reported it on rounds, and my superiors, who knew that this little boy was brain dead, said it was an involuntary muscle spasm, and we can't really get excited about that. But then someone else felt a hand squeeze later that morning after rounds. And by that afternoon, the seven-year-old, our hero, was squeezing hands on command. And we still didn't know what to make of it because this boy had been in a coma for so long without detectable neurologic activity. We didn't know what would happen. But thank goodness over a period of a couple of weeks, this little boy gained back everything. And when he walked out of the hospital, all of us cheered and cried and couldn't believe that we had just seen this miracle. And this was a boy who was gone. I think we were, as a group, stunned. And personally, it became really a cornerstone of my training and subsequently of my practice. Yeah, that would have to have an impact that would be lingering and probably something you think about all the time and and probably gives you hope when you've had over the years tough cases to to not give up, I guess, too. Well, that's exactly right, Dr. McDonough. In fact, one of the recurring themes in the essays in the Miracles book is just that, that these don't happen all the time. And in fact, they're not rare, but they're not common. But when they do occur, they instill a sense of optimism and hope into the souls of the physicians so that when the days are tough and when the outcomes are not as good, we have reason to keep hoping. And doctors, evidence-based, scientific-oriented physicians all spoke about, in, in their essays, about uh, the importance of hope and optimism that they gained from witnessing, eyewitnessing, uh, the events that they told in their essays. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Dr. Hiley Rothbart, author of Miracles We Have Seen, Astonishing Stories of Medical Miracles That Defy All Logic. Tell me a couple of the more interesting ones. I know, which is really, I think, very interesting, you had the physician's write about their own experiences. What were a couple of the ones when you put this book together that stuck out in your mind? Oh, my goodness. The spectrum, Dr. McDonough, of the essays is just staggering. On the one hand are the impossible, impossible to believe stories like the one of the window washer on a skyscraper in Manhattan when the window washing platform gave way on the 47th story. This man free fell onto a cement alleyway. The chief of trauma surgery at Cornell New York Hospital got the call, and he said, I couldn't imagine why they were calling me, because the chances of survival after a three-story fall are about 50-50, and the recovery from a three-story fall is tough. A 10-story fall is almost 100% fatal. A 47-story fall onto a cement alleyway, there is no one alive after that. It must be a mistake. And yet this man, the window washer, is now living in Arizona, doing charity walks for others, driving his kids to school after a complete physical and neurologic recovery. Then there's the story of the little boy who was in the tragic car accident. He was T-boned by a 16-wheeler. He was riding in the back seat of a car that his mother was driving. And the little boy was decapitated. All the soft tissue connections between his spine and his skull were severed. There was nothing on x-ray. There was nothing 
between skull and spine uh, that you could see in the way of bony support or soft tissue support. This is called an internal decapitation. It is virtually never survivable. And among those people who do survive, the neurologic damage, including quadriparesis, paralysis of all four extremities because of spinal cord injury, is the rule. This little boy survived with no neurologic injury from the accident. His physician said he's never seen anything like it. And that's on the end of the spectrum of, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? On the other end of the spectrum are some miracles that really are more emotional miracles than physical miracles. There's the little five-year-old boy who had a relapse of neuroblastoma, which is, can be a devastating cancer of childhood. And he was dying. There was no question that he was dying. And he had gone through extensive periods of chemotherapy. His immune system was wiped out by the therapy. And he was lying in bed, really unmoving for days, waiting for that last breath, surrounded by family, surrounded by caregivers. His oncologist, a prominent oncologist, Dr. Hilden, writes the story that she and three other caregivers were in the room, and this little boy was, as usual, not moving and barely breathing. His mom was in the room, and suddenly, with no movement for weeks, this little boy sat bolt upright opened his eyes wide and broke gradually into the biggest smile that this oncologist had ever seen from this child or any other child. The oncologist wrote that she didn't know how long this little boy was in this mesmerized state, but was sitting bolt upright, smiling, looking through them, looking past them. And then quietly, after a period of time that the oncologist could not quantify, the little boy lay back down, his mother took his hand, and the little boy took his last breath and died. And the oncologist wrote that there was no one in the room that day who didn't believe with all their hearts that our little friend saw heaven that morning. And that, for everyone there, was a miraculous event because although the outcome medically, physically, clinically was tragic, the sense of hope and optimism that came out of that room because of this little boy's last actions that were witnessed by scientists and nurses and doctors and family were unmistakable. Let me ask you about that. That's a good point we could touch on. These are all fascinating stories, and, and clearly I would recommend anybody that you want to take a look at more of these stories. You get the book Miracles. We have seen astonishing stories of medical miracles that defy logic. But I wanted to ask you, what about people who have these so-called out-of-body experiences, people who say they've seen heaven? What's your feeling after having all of these different people contribute? And what is the scientific thoughts right now on it? Because I'm sure you've probably looked into that as well. Well, I've thought a lot about it. And I'll tell you that the stated and realized purpose of this book was not to have personal testimonials of medical experiences by patients. And I believe all of those. Sure, there are some that stretch the imagination, but I, I do absolutely believe that people have out-of-body experiences. I watched my grandfather have one right before he died. I absolutely believe it. But the book asks the physicians to describe the experiences, and they do. And in fact, there are a number of experiences in the book, like the one that I just told, where family members and patients behaved in a way that convinced the physicians that the patients and the family members were experiencing something beyond the physical. And one physician, for example, writes a story about a man who was bleeding 
to death as a result of a surgical complication. He was the physician who's now an accomplished physician, writes the story when he was a surgical trainee. And everyone in the room had given up on this man because they could not find the bleeder. They could not stop the bleeding. And the medical student, out of a sense of hubris that he, to this day, cannot understand as a surgical medical student, he said, can I try? Can I have a clamp? And the chief surgeons, everyone, you know, in the midst of this horrible resuscitation, pumping fluids into this man who was bleeding out through an abdominal surgical wound where the bleeder could not be found, everyone in the room, and a medical student would have, you know, done the sutures at the end of the procedure to close up the incision. That's what the medical student typically does in a procedure like this. The medical student doesn't get involved in the big stuff. And the surgeon, out of a, a sense of complete frustration or maybe anger, kind of tossed the clamp to this medical student who took the clamp and opened the clamp and plunged his hand into the bleeding abdomen and closed the clamp and the bleeding stopped. And the surgeon, who, now an accomplished surgeon, bariatric surgeon, writes of that experience that he had when he was a medical student I don't know what happened, he said that day, but I can tell you one thing. It wasn't my hand that was guiding the clamp. The mysterious presence, the sense of, of out-of-body, something in the room here is not tangible, is very real in many of the essays in this book. Well, Dr. Harley Ropart, this is fascinating to hear these stories. Obviously, makes you want to read the book, but also I think the perspective of physicians and how they look at things, they're trying to look at it objectively from their best memory. And it's clearly when something like this happens, just like you detailed your memory, we, we remember them freshly as if they were yesterday because they are so dramatic. Absolutely. I want to thank you for joining us on Primary Care today. It was really a pleasure having you with us. Thank you, Dr. McGonagall. Can I add one more shameless promotion? All proceeds are being donated to charity so that 100% of any sales royalties, any profit that would have come to me or to any of the other essayists are being donated to 65 different charities, which the essayists themselves chose and are listed in the back of the book. The subtitle is America's Leading Physicians Share Stories They Can't Forget. And the closing, the epilogue of the book is a listing of 65 charities that benefit by the sales of this book. So it's feel good all around because no one's profiting except the charities. Dr. Harley Ropark, thank you so much for joining us on Primary Care today. It was great having you with us. Thank you, sir. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primary care today. You can download the podcast. You can learn more about the series. Thank you for listening and being a part of the knowledge.